Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Hey, folks out there in podcast land, this is Steve Fielder once again with the Gone to the Dogs podcast. And today I'm treating you guys to, well, no, let me rephrase that. I'm putting you fellas out there through what I have to go through all the time when I talk to these couple of guys that are here on the podcast with me today. And we just thought we'd do a Thanksgiving podcast, just kind of lighthearted, just getting together, shooting the bull type thing. And uh, uh, I've got a couple of fellas here. They're both mountaineers. They're not from West Virginia. They're from Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, these are guys I partner with on some dogs and they're my hunting buddies and they keep me in this sport and I'm, I'm, uh, enjoying, uh, uh, getting to spend a little time with them. Uh, Keston Jesse from the state of Virginia. How you doing, Cass? I'm doing good. Doing good. All righty. And old Mark Miller from down there in the Tar Heel state. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great, Steve. Yeah, well, we've been cutting up and carrying on here for probably the last hour trying to get this doggone program to work. We use a program <laughs> called Riverside FM, a, a website. It's kind of like Zoom for you teachers out there that had to Zoom with all your kids during the the lockdowns and all of that stuff. But we finally got her percolating. It took us a little while. Were you about to give up on me, guys? Well, you're probably about ready to give up on me trying to get some more. <laughs> well, it me and technology, you know, I, I'm just way. I was, I'm like old Brett Vaughn. I was born a hundred years too soon, or too late, I should say, <laughs> too soon. Yeah, I got wait a hundred years, and I wouldn't want to think about being born a hundred years from now. It's hard to tell what what it would be like. But. Mm. You're better with uh, what, than I am. <laughs> <laughs> what you guys been up to? You been hunting any? Yeah, you know, I've been running the got the fever to night champion now and uh, working on a few problems, trying to tune him on in, get ready for the Grand American is what I'm setting my goals for now. Probably no more UKC hunts for him until then. Uh Kind of just plan on cutting him maybe with one of my dogs and by himself mainly from here on out. Uh, yeah, that old pup, he's been pretty amazing. I was trying to describe that thing the other day to somebody on social media. And I, I the the one thing I guess I'd say about him is, is focused determination. I mean, he's very determined to do whatever <laughs> it's in his <laughs> mind to do, but he seems to be focused on that. You know, there isn't a whole lot of junk about him. And before we get into talking about this dog, and I know we'll get to bragging on him, so we'll have to have to probably mute ourselves here. <laughs> Keston, what have you been doing along the hunting line? I've been I've been hunting a little bit. Been deer hunting some. I- was doing real good. The dogs was doing real good, and I uh, had a little hiccup, and I got a little aggravated, and I've sort of took a break for three or four days and ain't really been. I went last night, didn't do no good, and uh, treated in, and then never got struck again after that. 
But uh, that's about it. Well, y'all hunting in the mountains, and of course, it's hard for me to keep things in perspective when I'm. Yesterday it was 82 degrees down here, and uh, so it's kind of hard for me, you know, to to wrap my mind around the fact that y'all are hunting in 20 degrees and 30 degree weather up there already. We uh, call this episode uh, "Gone to the Dogs" uh, for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, here it is right on top of us. In fact, uh, when this thing airs on a Monday, Thanksgiving will be Thursday. So you guys are kind of getting, it's just weird to me. I don't know if y'all feel this way or not, but you wait all year for hunt season. Then when you blink a couple of times, seems like you're in the tail end of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, this Saturday's last day of bear season till the last two weeks of the year already. It's crazy. It flies by. It does when you you wait for it all year and then you start doing it and it's like just as soon as you start, it's been time to quit. And that's that's a file to hunt. That's deer hunting, coon hunting, turkey hunting, all of it. You wait on. And you do it about all of it, don't you? I do every bit of it. Coyote hunt, deer hunt, turkey hunt, coon hunt. Yeah, been bear hunting. You'd have be, you'd have better dogs if you'd quit all that other junk. You know? I, I know <laughs> it. I know it. I know it. Yeah, I had to. Well, I thought you know I had a pretty good run there, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's the season change or what. Clyde had a little hiccup. And he went there three or four nights, and he he just he didn't do nothing at all. Really, he just acted like he didn't know what a coon was. And then, but I got him back out there the other night. I gave him a break, got him back out there the other night and turned him loose. And within 30 minutes, he was treed and had four coons up the same tree. So, but then I took him last night and it was windy. It was cold, a 20 mile an hour wind gust. And uh, he treed the den and recut him off that. And he went 0.6 and never got struck again. And I had to catch him. Well, I think a lot of that is, you know, we went from summertime hunting when the coon are, you know, fairly easy to strike and kittens are down and all that kind of stuff. Although the weather, it's miserable out there. It's so hot and the bugs and all that stuff. But then, you know, it's going to get to feeding up in the, in the acorns and the wild grapes in the mountains and all, and they don't do a lot of moving around at all. Is that about the same way down there? Uh, in Carolina, Mark. Yeah, it's about the same way. This summer, I was like, go out on a night hunt, see three or four coons. And when it got cold here, started getting cold. It's like they all vanished. They all went up eating acorns and nobody moving, all staying in the trees. Yeah, it's like they all just left for about two months here. And since the acorns have failed, uh, Seems like they're getting out and about a whole lot more than they was. Like I say, I seen one pretty quick last night, and then, uh, well, next drop didn't do nothing. Went 300 and mm. some yards deep, fever did, and uh, just hunted the creek and turned and come right back to the truck. Yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. That, that first week of kill season, uh, I treat 20 some coons the first week kill season and the second week of kill season is just like golly can you even tree one mm. 
You know, that's the thing about coon hunting, I guess. I guess it's any kind of hunting. You know, we the highs are great, and then they make us kind of, they set us up. And we think it ought to be that way every night, you know. And then we get out there and we hit a snag a little bit. You know, it's like a, I, everything reminds me of something else. Just like a baseball player. You know, I was watching the Astros win the World Series, and I like the Astros. Ella and I watch them and follow them through that Major League Baseball app. And uh, so we, we watch a lot of baseball. This Jordan Alvarez, you know, this guy, I mean, he can kill the ball. He's one of the best hitters in the major leagues and have been. You know, well, he kind of slumped early and then he come on really strong. And then through the World Series, man, he couldn't. He could hardly buy a hit. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 the guy's a good hitter. You know, and you're like, what's going on? You know, how can you see that that fastball and square it up here for, you know, all these day, all these uh, weeks, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> as my uncle would say, he couldn't hit a bull in the butt with a bass fiddle. You know, so it, it's coon hunting's like that. It's a it's a game. Of, of inconsistent if if there's one word that you can describe coon hunting i think it would be inconsistent because no two nights are ever the same i don't think i hear that uh frogger pup treed back there in the background Cass. no uh, that, you that, hear that, that ain't mine that must be uh, that's that's mark's dog <laughs> oh oh yeah it, that's the fever oh, you're okay. hearing in the background <laughs> yeah. oh is that old fever that's fever don't let him hear him. He he don't have much mouth, and we want him. <laughs> no, he's got a mouth you can hear for a long ways, but he's not very he, masculine that, with his voice. He, he's more of a high pitch. He's high, especially here in the yard. He gets a little puppy squeal going on, aggravating. But in the woods, he don't he don't sound nothing like he does in the yard, which is good. Oh yeah. Well, uh, okay, let's set the table here just a little bit for everybody to listen in to all our rambling back and forth here, just so they know what we're talking about. Keston and I met through, actually through uh, him looking for a tree and walker puppy. I told him to give Randy Smith in Pennsylvania, the Lone Pine guy, a call. They got together on a pup. I happened to be going up that way. Uh I picked the pup up for Keston, brought him back home. What was he, about three months old, Keston? Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Something like that. Okay, out of Cooney Valley Pack, which is out of that uh, Power Pack and Easy Cross, and uh, Randy Smith's friend female. Um, And uh, anyway, so that's kind of how we got together. But Clyde has... Come on, and when we talk about Clyde, that's that pup out of pack and and uh, Fran, and he's what fifteen months old now. Yeah, yeah, getting ready to turn sixteen months old. Yeah, okay. And then Keston and I uh, co-own uh, an all grand trackman pup that's out of Lone Pine Jillian, and uh, we call her Bonnie. And then we got what you're hearing in the background right now is a pup out of 
out of uh, Davis's Rosedale Frogger dog and Lone Pine Jillian, again, like Bonnie's mother. And uh, she's a vocal little rascal, isn't she? I see Keston's left the building. <laughs> He's going to go take care of, of her. We call her feeling fancy. And, of course, with those dogs, like Frogger spells it with a P-H-R-O-G-G-E-R. We call this one, uh, the, the F sounds are, are all P-H's. But anyway, she's a she's a cool little dude. What's she doing, Keston? She's up our trading the crate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're hopeful for her. I don't know what her birthday is. We we're trying to figure that out about worming her here yesterday. I have to look at her papers. I don't remember for sure. But anyway, that's what Keston's got. He's got Clyde, this 15, did you say 15 months? Yeah, I get ready to turn 16. Yeah, male. Bonnie, who is about 13 months old, she's a day younger than Fever. And then Fancy, who's, I don't know, three months old or so. Now, Mark, mm -hmm. tell them about your dogs, what you got at the house. I got uh, here in a month, got one turning 12. He's a grand knight off a hardwood dreamer, my old stud dog. And I got Crockett at four years old and Dixie, or the litter mates. Uh, Crockett is my, he's my main dog. He's a two-time grand knight champion, two-time show champion, PKC champion dog. I hunt quite often. Uh, Dixie's a grand show, got a couple wins, towards night champion, just hadn't had time to finish her, uh, hope to get on into that here soon since, uh, we've got the plot dog, 13 months old, that's dual champion now, uh, almost a water champion, one more overall, we'll be water champion, so we'll be a three-way quadruple champion, I reckon you'd call him, coming up. Uh, but, uh, we're going, I'm probably going to work on Dixie from here to the end of the year, trying to get the night champion on her and, uh, just concentrate on hunting, uh, fever by itself from here out to the grand American. Yeah. Well, we kind of planned, we kind of had a plan with the plot, you know, we wanted to, Mark finished him on on uh, the bench first. He finished that pretty pretty quickly. I think he had 105 points for bench champion, wasn't it? Yeah, something like, something that, like that, yeah. And then, you know, we were debating about whether or not to put the puppy in the, any hunts. I think he, what was he, about eight months old when we put him in the first one? Maybe eight or nine, something like that. Maybe. Eight or nine, something like that. Uh, it's just because he was doing so much uh, split training from Crockett is why, I, you know, I just take him to a hunt and uh, played the odds with a, a good draw because he was so young and uh, just put him in. Uh, if it was like a bad night, some dogs, some older dogs, uh, I would – I was still trying to get the five wins for Crockett for tournament champions. So if it was like that or a bad night, bad weather, I would hunt Crockett instead of Fever, and that way I could play both sides of the fence, not you know grands or registered. And I just 
played the odds through it all and uh, picked the good nights for a crocket or a fever to be in the woods and that's what we went with and it worked out well i think you you probably don't give yourself enough credit uh but just what you're saying right there i think is a whole lot to do with him finishing his night champion at 13 months and a day old is that you know you kind of thought about it, had a plan, worked your plan, you know. And Cass, you know, we talking about you getting into the hunts, which you haven't jumped into that pool yet. Uh, but as a coon hunter that knows his dog, I don't think there's anybody else out there that's any better than you. I think the stage you're in right now is you need to learn the rules. And just you know, basically, the uh, get those down, and you you're good to go. You got a dog that could win right now. Yeah, I believe I believe you can win. I believe you do real good. I just I don't know if I do real good. I I don't know any of the rules. I've never been in a hunt. I've only spectated two, and one was the Autumn Oaks, and one was just a local youth hunt. So uh, I'm pretty green when it comes to that. Well. I would rather, I don't know what you think, Mark, I'd rather the guy know all the fundamentals of coon hunting before he got into the night hunt game. And I think a lot of young people do it the other way around. You know, right away they want to jump in the, the night hunts. And, and we have youth hunts, as you mentioned, casting for kids, you know, and they get in there. And I know when I see these six, seven-year-old kids out there, they don't. You know, they're handling the dog, yeah, but somebody's coaching them pretty strong, <laughs> I got to believe. And I'm not and I'm not knocking that at all because that's a great gateway to get kids involved. You know, it really is. But as far as, you know, I, I felt like, looking back, that I was a pretty knowledgeable houndsman before I ever entered a dog in the first night hunt. Was it that way for you, Mark, or did you just jump in at, at a young age, or what did you do? I was pretty young, but I'd probably been coon hunting from a lot of older guys that taught me a lot probably three years before I got into competition hunting. I probably yeah. started competition yeah. hunting at 15, 16, and uh, been after yeah. it. On and off ever since then. I've been coon hunting a long time. I just ain't never done no competition hunting. I, I ain't really never even hunted with nobody that I've, does competition. I've always pleasure hunted, always hunted with pleasure hunters. So I just, I don't know anything about the competition world besides what I see on Facebook and stuff. And uh, I believe that the dog I got, I believe that he can do his part. I just don't know that I can do my part. I just need to study up on it and stuff. Yeah. Well, we tell people all the time the basics are just know your dog so you understand what he's doing and just basically call him for what he's doing. You know, when he strikes, strike him. When you're sure he's tree, tree. When you're sure he's not, don't tree him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You think it's questionable and all that. And then it gets into a whole lot of other things. Like, you know, knowing what, recognizing the other dog's voices. You know, back in the day, somebody said this, I think. 
maybe it was about Roy Tramble, who used to be the president of PKC and was with the Arvis Humphers for many years. And Roy started out as a as what they called a pro judge, you know, the, a non-hunting judge on those early PKC hunts. And, you know, Roy could get out there and he knew every dog in that cast by the first, you know, within the first two minutes of the hunt. You know, he knew which one, what they sounded like and, and all that. And that greatly improves your ability as a judge, you know, to know wh- what dogs are what. I mean, if dogs are moving around or somebody's pitching a dog in or whatever. And there was a real art to being a non-hunting judge in in uh, PKC or UKC. And I think a lot of that's gone away now. Most everything's judged within the cast. There is a judge there. But there's voting procedures and all that stuff. But that art, but getting back to the point, being that learning the dog, just like you've done, Keston, you know, old Clyde, you know what he's doing. I mean, you know, and, and you you are a real student of dogs. And I think that's where a lot of people, you know, maybe come up short, you know, especially the newer hunters and younger hunters, as they don't really know the dog. Mark, you're the same way. That's why I, I consider myself really fortunate to be associated with both you guys because you both know hounds. And to me, that's fundamental. And then, Mark, on top of that, you know this competition mm-hmm. game. You know how to play it. You know, tell tell us about your hunt. Uh, and, it, it, you know, I believe on this podcast, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, everything's not all roses, striking tree on five coons, high-scoring dog of the hunt. Sometimes it only takes a few points. To accomplish your goal, you hunted Saturday night. Tell tell us about that. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, I think Keston has all he needs to have to win. He's got a coon dog. I've seen that. Uh, no matter how good a handler you're, you know you got a professional handler in your cast. If you're toting a coon dog, you can't. Uh, they, they can't deny that you're going to probably prevail being the winner. Uh, that's the number one thing. You need to be toting a coon dog. If you're toting a coon dog, then you're just going to have to have bad luck not to win the cast. But other than that, there is a mathematical game you can play with everybody. The strike in the tree, laying back. There's all kinds of games you can play with people in the night hunt. But number one, toting a coon dog is what you need to be doing. And, uh, that's my take on it. Now, as far as the other night, my hunt, I kind of played the game. I've I, I been in it long enough when everybody cuts loose. I learned the dogs right off the bat. I've always got the score in my head of what's going on on that card. Even if I ain't carrying the card, I wasn't carrying the card that night. But I can keep it in my head while everybody's toting. And like first drop. Everybody fired in, jumped on the gun, strike tree. Everybody, you know, we're hunting one-hour hunts. Uh, everybody's quick. 
but the quick hurts sometimes, and they all jumped on a slick tree, except me. And they all took their minus. Uh, I took a little, I took a strike minus, because we caught them back up, which I was sitting on 50. They were sitting on 150 and 225. So then we played, we went to the next spot. So I played the game with them. They all cut again. They had nothing to lose. Jumped on everything right off the bat again. And uh, I just laid back. I didn't have to be first and first because I was, the only thing I had to do was have plus points and they was not coming out of the hole. And uh, I ended up uh, 50 plus. They ended up with zero. And I got the cash win. So I could have jumped on it first and uh, maybe pulled off a higher score. Is a local hunt. Nothing to gain. So I just played this, the odd game with them and uh, took last on everything because I know I didn't have to have a high score to beat them. They had to have a high score just to come out of the hole, and it didn't pan out for them. So they ended up at zero. They got out of the hole, but then the clock on the hour, that got them. Yeah, exactly, and I – uh, Kesson, I know you've probably got a comment or maybe a question, but you know, Gary Hearn won the ACHA World Hunt years ago with the dog called Red Eagle Dick. Beautiful hound. And uh, a boy named Kevin Swartz up in Michigan. Kevin, I think, is quit coon hunting now. He's uh, guiding uh, charter fishing uh, excursions or whatever on Lake Erie. But Kevin had a dog called Red Eagle Dick four, I think it was three or four. I don't remember the number. Nice dog. Kevin used to come over and hunt the PKC hunts from, uh, there in Marcellus, Michigan, near where I lived. And you know, after the hunt was over, Kevin had a, a, a pretty good long drive to the other side of the state back home, but he'd stop on state game land on the way and hunt all the way back home. He was a coon hunter. But when Kevin got into the night hunts, he was trigger happy, you know. He wanted to have every first tree. And I remember Gary Hearn telling him, Kevin, everybody in this cast knows your dog treed first. That doesn't mean you have to take first tree. Okay? And, of course, the mentality switched when PKC came along because back in the old days, it was all about the high score of the hunt. You know, the dog with the most points. And, it, and you know, to a degree, it's still that way at the bigger hunts, like Automotes, Grand American, and all, although there is – what I call the safety valve is that final four where you have to go back out and then and hunt against the other high scores. But anyway, uh, I always, I thought that was great advice for anybody uh, that's playing this because it is a game. What we're playing with the comp, it, it's the best way that we have to physically, uh, determine a coon dog i mean you know officially or or 
with stats or whatever way you want to say it. But it's a game. It's you know, and it was intended from the first to award the dog that treated the most coons, okay, and made the least mistakes. And it's still that way. But it is a game, and sometimes you got to use some strategy. You know, what worries you about the night hunts, Kessner? You say you don't think you have the ability. Nothing really worries me. Uh, I believe Clyde, as far as Clyde goes in a night hunt, I believe he'd do good. I believe uh, Clyde does better in certain conditions. The good thing about Clyde and me not, it'd be sort of hard to make a mistake with Clyde because I believe he's more of an ambush-style dog. He's not no tracking dog. Or nothing like that. When if he says something on the ground, nine times out of ten it ain't going seventy yards and it's tree. And when I mean when he locates, I mean it's over. He don't move. He's there till you get there. And nine times out of ten he's got his comb. And uh, you know, just like I said, I believe he's an ambush dog. When when he says when he says something on the ground, it very rarely goes over a hundred yards. And when you get there, he trees up a lot of stuff that you know he. He was really putting pressure on that cone. I'm talking trees the size of your arm, and he'll have a cone in it. I mean, mm-hmm. I believe, I believe he's pretty close to looking at it when he trees it. And it's sort, I believe it's sort of hard to mess up with a dog like that. Uh, you know, if you tree him early, it ain't gonna take him long. You know, he's gonna be there. He's gonna be treed. So there, I don't guess there's really nothing that worries me. It's just more, I want to be sure he's right. I want to get him out with some other dogs because he basically his whole life he's been on his own. He's hunted by himself. He's never had nothing really to put no pressure against him, nothing to push back, you know, nothing out there hunting with him. He's had nothing to compete with. So I really just don't know how he'll act in that environment. Well, you guys each have some pretty interesting stories about the way you train these dogs and all. And, course in your case cast and uh you know i know the pup was young and you just started taking him about every night just walking him right yeah yeah never with no other dogs just walking him up down creek banks where i know there's cones where there's feeding cows and stuff like that and uh that's how i started him yeah well the other interesting thing to me mark is uh the way you finished oh uh old 13 months old fever we just had junior laster on the podcast and i laughed about him because he's just like the folks back home it's old buck and old this and old Ann and old where somewhere along in coon hunting we always put that old in front of the dog's name the dog may not be 15 months old but it's old clyde you know but anyway old fever has yet to have a coon shot right. to him, right no coons shut down, yeah. or of course no coons were harmed in the making of this dog. <laughs> <laughs> this ad was provided by PETA, People Eating mm. Animals. I I was doing good, you know, we was training out of season, uh, and I, I wasn't shooting coons out to him. I was catching some and releasing. He has seen coons. But uh, I was just praising him on the trees, and uh, we were doing good at that. And then I decided uh, 
and we started winning some casts. And I'm like, wouldn't that be great if I could make him a night champion? And he never had a coon shot to him. So, well, you know, I'm not campaigning against shooting coons. Okay, and I posted a a thing on on uh, coon hunting conversations, which I will put a plug in for that. That's my uh, Facebook group that we started. And now we're just knocking on the door of uh, 10,000 members in that group. I keep watching the numbers as I approve new ones. It keeps showing 9.9 thousand. But, uh, uh, you know, posted a, a question up there and gotten several good responses about the fact that this dog had, you know, had finished without coons. And then just to read the responses, and they're good. There's a lot of good responses in there, and they all make sense, or most of them do to me. I mean, some of them say, you know, these coons, we don't control the population. Disease will come in and control it for us. So if we don't shoot some of these coons, we're really not doing our sport a favor by being totally at, uh, abstaining. In your case, Mark, coons are not particularly plentiful where you are, and you take care of them, and I understand that. In Keston's case, uh, coons are a little more plentiful where he is, but yet they're still, you know, they're not. it's not like Michigan where I had for, 22 years I could go to 30 different drops it would take me no more than 15-20 minutes to get to and coons you know all kinds of cropland all that stuff but so that argument's up and down somebody told me this and I don't know if this is true or not because it's hearsay I did not hear the gentleman say this myself I'll clarify that Someone once told me that they had, someone challenged Russ Beller, and everybody knows Russ. He won a lot of world championships, the Demon Dog, the Striker Dog, the Pac-Man Dog, the, the Han, Handsome Harry, all, all those Saigon Dogs, all those dogs. And they kind of, I guess we're trying to criticize him for shooting coons to his dog. And this is what I heard. I didn't hear Russ say this myself, but supposedly Russ said, well, if you don't like my method, beat my record. And he was saying that to him, it was important to put, uh, you know, put coons on a dog. Now, Russ, if I misquoted you, I apologize. <laughs> Next time I talk to you, we'll we'll settle it, okay? But at any rate, uh, and there's those those different philosophies there. Um, but most will agree, and, and I know what I did. I kind of posed this question this way concerning fever. We're going to take fever out to the White River here. And, well, from where I'm talking, uh, where we're recording right now, we're about a week and a half out, and he's going to get some fur because that's what we do when we go out there. And how's that going to affect him? You know, is he is he going to handle that? You know, I've had this conversation with Jerry Mall, who retired from PKC. You know, and he he's a proponent of you know not giving a dog very many coons. So, uh, Cass. 
in Keston, in uh, looking at Clyde, watching his performance and all, have you seen differences when you were giving him coons from when you weren't? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> some big differences. I know if you go a while and you don't shoot nothing out to him, it seems like he blows to the country a lot more. He gets strayed. You're walking a lot farther to him. He, he's going harder, going faster, going farther. He gets wild at it. And you shoot some cones out to him, it sort of calms him down, keeps him in pocket. Uh, still trades a lot of cones. He just ain't he ain't blowing through our, I guess, trying to overachieve, I guess, trying to do it. And uh, there's a big difference in the way he hunts, shooting cones versus not shooting cones. Well, you know, I think that might be surprising to some people because, uh, you know, it's generally thought you give a dog coon, coons, it makes them hunt harder and wider and gives them more pep in their step, so to speak. But, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know exactly what I think about that, except that I think it has to be the individual dog, you know, is it, uh, uh, you know, each dog is separate. And I think it was uh, Levi Ward from Indiana, he hunts plot dogs, that had commented that, you know, uh, some of them you got to give, give coons to, and other dogs you don't. What do you think, I, Mark? I have seen dogs that needed coons to help them out through the year. Uh, now, far as Crockett, uh, he he had one coon last year, so, and that's all he had, and that was I didn't even shoot it out. It was a bunch of guys that had some young dogs, and uh, they wanted to shoot it out, so we did. Other than that, he had one coon shot out to him last year, and he ain't had one since. And hmm. uh, I reckon if they don't have a bunch. They don't need a bunch. I don't. That to my dogs that I've trained, uh, it's been that way. And I. Well, I'm a guy that all. Oh, go ahead. I kind of like it that way because that way I don't have to kill so many coons around here that we don't have. Yeah. Well, you know, here's. I keep coming back to this. I always enjoyed the kill season, especially in Michigan. You know, I, I even got a little, I guess I'd call it selfish or got to be like a hermit. I wanted to twofold. I wanted to hunt my dogs, especially if I had young dogs. I wanted to hunt them by themselves. And, uh, you know, and then two, I wanted to, to stretch those hides. I enjoyed that aspect of coon hunting. When the far, harvest season came in, the first got prime. I enjoyed taking a nice fur, skinning it out, uh, if you could sell the carcass, fine. If not, I'm afraid they became coyote bait. But, um, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of the sport and look forward to it every year. But now that the fur markets have gone away, there's something inside of me said, well, it's a shame to waste. But then, at the same time, I'm saying, well, maybe... You know, we've got to control the resource because, fellas, I don't know if either one of you have seen it, but I've seen it where, where uh, on two or three different cycles over the years where distemper got into the coon population. 
and it'll thin them out, believe me. You know, a game warden told me in Michigan one time, he said it's canine distemper, or actually a biologist, not a game warden. He says canine distemper, it's about 100% fatal in foxes, and it's about 50% fatal in raccoons. And I don't know, you know, you get out there, the dog hits a hot track, he runs and shuts up, you go to him and it, and he's got he's woolen the coon on the ground. You look at the coon, his hair looks rough. He he's you know he's he just looks rugged. He's probably his eyes are matted up. It's December. I remember one time there in uh, east of Kalamazoo, was hunting with a guy named Eric Fairchild. I hunted with for quite a quite a bit and one creek along a cornfield there, I mean, you just walk down that edge of that corn and here's a dead one and up here's another one and then down there's another one. And that distemper just, you know, gets in them and, and can wipe them out. So the point being that, you know, we do need to harvest the coon. But to me, the challenge is, is find a good outlet for that meat or those furs so that they're not just totally wasted. And I think people have gotten to tanning the furs and hanging them up on the wall and using them for different things. But basically, the fur market's gone away. Do you guys have ever, do you put up fur or, or process it at all? I don't, but I actually got a guy that, uh, where I've done a lot of coyote hunting and stuff, I, I know a guy that does, and he would take every cone that I brought him. So I do got somewhere I can take them and to where they are getting used. And uh, so, yeah, I, I can make use of them. Uh, we, I have nothing to do with them. They're uh, nobody around here. Nobody around here wants them. So not unless we decide to eat them. Well, yeah, we have people that come by and, and take the carcasses uh, out there in arkansas you know and there's a it, it's a food mm -hmm. resource for a lot of people and uh and i've eaten coon have, have either of you oh, ever yeah. eaten coon? i've ate several of them i got a yell and a no <laughs> a guess and a no oh boy i tell you what mm. i did <laughs> i cooked one in the house one time and it was not it was not well accepted well, I got a question for each of y'all. Y'all yeah. can answer individual. All first, right. First, we'll go with Mark first. <laughs> dun, 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 how how did it taste, dun, Mark? Tastes Is like chicken, boy. <laughs> like Mike Tyson said when he bit off That's Holyfield's it. ear, right? Uh, tastes like chicken. It's a dark meat. <laughs> it's kind of like a roast to me, like a big pot roast kind of meat, kind of dark, rich. Um, I actually like it. I, I you quarter it like a chicken, the shoulders and back legs, you know, and that's about all they are to it. The back legs are really meaty front legs. You got to eat around on like a, like a rabbit kind of to me and a dark meat rabbit. That's what it reminded mm -hmm. me of. I've had, I've eaten coon several times. Uh, 
and only prepared it a time or two myself. My dad, uh, my mother was kind of an interesting study. She would cook any kind of wild game that we brought in, but she didn't want to eat wild game. She'd eat the fish that we caught, but there was just some kind of a stigma to the fact that this thing was out in the woods, which I used to tell her, Mom, it's a lot cleaner out there in the woods <laughs> than it is in a hog pen or a, uh, you know. But anyway, uh, here was the way my dad fixed it. He would, what he called parboil it, parboil, parboil. He'd put it in a pot, maybe quarter up an onion, drop it in there, maybe a potato or two or something, and put it on low heat and just let it boil, you know, just bubble in there. And he would always skim the fat off the top of the pot because it's a real greasy meat. So you skim all that off and keep that grease off it, you know. And then when that meat is, you know, basically coming loose from the bone is when he would take it out. And then you can basically do what you want to with it, but usually finish it on the grill maybe, or I'd finish it on the grill. He would put it in the oven and slice apples. Maybe, uh, I don't know, put some kind of spices in there. I'm not sure what he did. But it, and then bake it, you know, after that. And it was very tasty. Now, we had a lady in our church whose husband was a coon hunter. And I always remember Willard Meadows. He had a a dog named Ike. And Ike looked like uh, a shepherd, like an old English shepherd. He was long-haired. But he was a coon-getting machine. And uh, Mrs. Meadows would tell my, my hunting buddy, and I, if you get a coon, get a nice young one or whatever, bring it to me and I'll fix it for you. And man, she could make <laughs> it taste like you wouldn't believe. I don't know what that lady did, but man, it was good. So, you know, and then Levi West down here in, in Florida is a coon hunter. Levi's been uh, sick. You know, I had some some uh, health issues and I don't know if he's back to coon hunting or not, but he has a lot of his friends come down from Michigan every year and they put on a big wild game supper deal and uh, prepare coon as part of the, of the, of the meal. And, and everybody raves about it. I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, coon can be a, a delicacy, you know, if, if it's prepared right, but I wouldn't say just cut the, hams off and throw it in a skillet and try to fry I, it and uh, eat it that way. I don't think I'm pretty sure uh, we didn't, we done, like you said, we, uh, we powerballed it. My grandmother cooked them. Uh, she would powerball it, then pull yeah. it out and flour it and then put it in a pan and fry it like chicken. And that's how we ate it. Oh, well, yeah, it uh, was, I'm sure it was good that way too, but it's, yeah, it's already uh, tender now. And, and my grandfather was a, big rabbit raiser too back then so she would cook I mean, she had plenty of practice on how to cook rabbits so she done the same way and it man, it turned out it was good the way she could fry it up you think you're gonna fix one Keston? you think you're gonna get 
your wife to fix one for you? I don't know. I don't know if she'd do it for me. I don't know if she could. <laughs> <laughs> and I ain't, I ain't much of a cook in the first place. But is uh, that right? But I wouldn't mind to try. I, I'll try anything one time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want my try. That's what y'all need to do out there at White River. Y'all need to try. Y'all warm them up. There's y'all. I don't know whether we have any takers or not. I have to ask the boys about that. Yeah, we we take some. We have eat so much out there. I don't think there'd be room for a coon. I, and uh, maybe, never maybe. Knows. Who knows? Who knows? What's the well, best bring- year? What's the best year you've had out there at White River as far as trade came? What's the most you've traded on? Mm, well, we've never really been a, a a big numbers game deal out there. Some of the guys, you know, really like to go out there and see how many they can kill in a week. And, you know, when you talk to Randy Rhodes, the game warden out there who also is a coon hunter, you know, they get overrun with coons and they want the coon hunters to take them. But the problem is a lot of the coon hunters haven't been good about properly disposing of them and all and and leaving them in public hunting areas and things like that. So I caution anybody that's going to White River, you know, you take care of what you kill, you know, and don't don't leave it around. But at any rate, uh, we've never recounted. Here's our deal. We go, and Mark's going to find this out here in about 10 days because he's going with us uh, this year. Uh, we'll probably kill, I'm going to say somewhere between five and eight a night, something like that. We don't really try to, you know, stack up a great big number of coons. I saw one uh picture on facebook of some coons stacked up or or laid out on on a uh, driveway there at a cabin and uh, these guys had caught 80 in a week and you know that's that's quite a few coons that's that's better than than 10 a night you know i think the reason we haven't caught so many is that we need better dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the guys, our buddies from North Carolina, that come up and uh, and we we get together with them every year and have a, a good spend a good afternoon just visiting. Uh, Jim McConnell, his son Jeremy, Don Moffitt, Evan Harrell, and Bill Rankin. Those guys, they. Uh, they catch quite a few coon every night. They hunt walker dogs, and they always seem to do really good. So, you know, it's kind of depends on how hard you want to hunt. But in our group, you know, we're some nights we might be us, the geriatric ward, Nubbin and me, and and we've lost some of the older members. We might decide by 10, 30, 11 o'clock, we're ready to go back to the cabin. Or back to the lodge. Some nights it might be two o'clock. We're rarely out there past about two o'clock in the morning. But you got to consider you going. You're hitting the woods about five o'clock too. You know. So yeah. But it's never really been. You know, we do kind of keep track of how many we catch. 
just to talk about it. Nubbin always <laughs> adds 10 to the number when he's talking to somebody else, you know. Yeah. That was my next question. How long do y'all hunt? I didn't know if y'all hunted from dark to daylight or what. Well, a younger <laughs> man might, and I see Martin nodding his head over there. Yeah, we're gonna check his oil this time. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm like saying, sick him to a bulldog, you know, <laughs> go after it, big boy. Man, I sit right here on. I got a nice dog box on the back of my four wheeler. It's just like sitting in an easy chair, man. I can just lean back when those dogs are in there about nine hundred or so, and I'd say and. You know, if y'all need any help, just holler, and I'll <laughs> holler back at you. You better get me closer than 900. <laughs> <laughs> well, every once in a while you get that because you don't have a trail. The thing about out there, you know, four-wheeler trails everywhere. But you're supposed to stay on those trails. You can't just take your four-wheeler or your side-by-side and head off through the woods. You know, so you look at your garment, see where the trail is, and one's closer around, you drive around. You know, you just like hunting anywhere. You drive till you get as close as you can, and then you get up, like Junior Lester said last week, you, you get on two legs and a stick, and there you go, you know. But uh, we're going to get you out there too, Keston. There, there's no doubt about it, but... Uh, I don't know if y'all want me out there. I might wear y'all out. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you. Hey, I told Nubbin the other day, I said, you know, we've got to get some young blood in here. You and I are getting too old. <laughs> we got to get some young. Of course, now, wait a minute. Let me tell you, clarify something here. Two of the guys, well, actually, uh, we're split about half and half, I guess. All the other guys out there, are pretty hard going coon hunters. Randy Smith from Mississippi, an every night coon hunter. Go to the dogs, doesn't matter where, always packing a coon dog. Then uh, Morris Hardy, Morris is, he's not quite as old as I am, but close. He can still go to the dogs. Uh, and I can go to the dogs too, but <laughs> I just don't like to as much as I used to. Go in there and take me a video, Mark, and bring it back and show me what it was like. I can hear Absolutely. it all right here, but I want to <laughs> see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, coon season's in all over the country. Midwest, they don't get, they just don't open quite as early as the ones in the, as the seasons in the mountains. You know, it's usually about the first week of November sometimes up around the 10th before they open up in places like Indiana, Illinois, and different, you know, out through the Midwest. So those guys get a pretty short season. You know, it's it's because of cold weather. You know, it's uh, how cold is it at your house right now, you guys? It is. It is 39 degrees. They're looking at their, at their phone. 39 degrees and raining in Taylorsville, North Carolina. It's 40 It's forty degrees here and raining. Mm, okay. Well, let me let me see. I know I won't be anywhere close to what you guys are. <laughs> I'd say you're 80 uh, degrees in sunshine. <laughs> uh, 
There used to be an old boy on on uh, TV in Bluefield, West Virginia, and every day he started out his uh, weather forecast by saying it's warm in Florida. <laughs> well, now, White River, where we're going to be going next week, Mark, it's 45 degrees right now. It's going to get up to 51, but it'll be 38 overnight. But for the week, uh, you know, getting on in toward the week we're going to be there, the weather's looking like 50s in the daytime, thir- uh, anywhere from, uh, it's getting a little warmer. It's going to be overnight lows about 40. Oh, yeah, it'll be it's great. It'll be just right for hunting. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to look right here at this. 78 degrees right now mm. going to go to a high of 80 <laughs> and cloudy. So it's not a good Chamber of Commerce day here because we're supposed to, we advertise sun every day, you know, but it's it's a little different. Hey, you guys are wearing them gone to the dogs hats. I want to talk about them just a minute. Listeners out there, if you want to, identifies one of these crazy coon hunters that have indeed gone to the dogs. We've got a real nice ball cap. It's a solid front mesh back comes in black or green. It says gone to the dogs. It's the logo for the podcast and for the book that I wrote called gone to the dogs and coon hunters journey. These are both available at stevefielderbooks.com. You can use PayPal and use your credit card and get it that way. Or uh, if you'll contact me on social media, I'll give you an an address that you can send your check or your money order to. $25 for the hat, $25 for the book, and I'll bundle them for $40. I'll send you a book and a hat for $40. That includes free shipping. And that's for a limited time through the holiday season. SteveFielderBooks.com All right. What's the plans for the rest of the season, guys? Well, you, you guys still going to try to coon hunt as long as the weather lasts? I'll coon hunt every night, but I can. I, I've, I, I hunt it pretty hard over the summer. I hunt it, well, you know, six, seven nights a week, and then I'll slow down here. Uh, there's, there's about three weeks left of deer season. I might hunt two or three nights a week through deer season. But once deer season goes out, I'll be back to six and seven nights a week. Mm-hmm. Well, what about you, Mark? You said you already said you're going to kind of back off on uh, UKC hunting as far as fever's concerned. But uh, you're just going to coon hunt some? Or are you going to competition I'll probably, hunt? Probably be hunting three to four nights a week. Uh, I'll probably just have um, Dixie in the night hunts from here on out to the end of the year. Uh, other than that, uh, I'm going to uh, just hunt fever mainly by itself, local here. Maybe a little bit with Crockett. Yeah. That'd, that'd be about it. Yeah, well, I'm hoping to get up that way and hunt with you boys, you know, before the seasons are out. If not, I guess you and I'll be going to Grand American. I think, Cass, you, we talked the other day. You thinking about going to Grand American? 
Yeah, I'll probably come up there and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be going. I'll go. I think my wife might go with me. If not, though, it'll just be me. Yeah. Well, we. I talked to Terry Walker the other day, or we messaged, and he's publisher of Cooner and Full Cry, and we always have a booth there in the big old white Bavender barn there. Uh, Mark knows where it is. Uh, all, most of the vendors are indoors, but then, the, well, that's not really true. There's vendor, there's a open-sided barns, vendor trailers and things like that around. But if you haven't been to the Grand American Coon Hunt in Orangeburg, South Carolina, you really need to put that one on your bucket list because it's a great big gathering of coon hunters, lots and lots of people. Um uh, Great place to get anything that you wore out or broke or whatever over hunting season. Kind of kicks off the night hunt season, especially in the southeast. And it's a tradition that goes way back to, I think, 1966 was the first year for it. Maybe 65. I know I went through there on a bus heading back to heading to Florida after Christmas vacation, going back to college was my first time to see or to be near the Grand American as we went through Orangeburg on a Greyhound. I had never seen so many pickup trucks and dog boxes in my life. And uh, that, of course, gave me a craving to, to get back there. And I did later on. I hunted in the Grand American several times before I, you know, got into uh, the registry game so anyway, it's a great place to go, visit, see your buddies, have a big show there. They'll have a dog barn there with puppies for sale and all that kind of stuff. But uh, pretty good time. What, what's your experience oh, uh, in American Mark? I'm going to say it's as big as Autumn Oaks to me, as far as the gathering of the people and uh, the dogs and the, they'll hunt. Yeah, I'd say uh, well over a hundred dogs every night, easy, uh, if not more. Uh, I just think it's a great time. Yeah, I think it'd probably be more. Yeah, probably be more closer to mm, two hundred oh, yeah. to three hundred range. Uh, yeah, there's quite a few dogs there. Just a great time, you know. It's that time of year. Most people are tired of winter. Probably absolutely the world's biggest treeing contest you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to, I've ne well, maybe way back in the early days. I have to tell my funny story. Back in the old days at the Grand American, and by the way, that happens the weekend after New Year's. It's always the first full weekend, three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, being a weekend, the first full weekend following New Year's Day. And I don't have the dates in front of me here. I can look real quick. It's going to be uh, the 6th, no, 5th, 6th, and 7th of January this year. Uh, but anyway, they used to have an auction there, and you could auction off dogs. Okay, and that's been one of the things, a bone of contention with for some people, the fact that there are these trade dogs that are there. And, uh, you know, there's an area, 
there where these guys bring their dogs and their dogs are bought and sold and so forth. And, and you know, it's not all bad. Most of the coon hounds, though, that are, are from breeders, what I'd call maybe well-bred dogs, are up in the dog barn by the headquarters building, uh, <laughs> by the boil peanut stand up that way. Uh, there's a couple barns up there, actually, in there with the dogs, I think. But anyway, I'll get back to my story here. Uh, they had this auctioneer sitting up there, and he was a real big fella. I mean, when he sits around the house, he sits <laughs> around the house, if you know what I mean. And he was up there auctioning off these dogs. And this nice gentleman came up with a pair of dogs, and he was dressed up. This uh, this fella had a sport coat on. I don't believe he had a necktie, may have, but anyway, he was dressed really nice. Did not look like the average coon hunter. He had two dogs there, and they looked like they were part. They were hound and cur cross. They were tan dogs with saddlebacks, and they had about a what I call a half to three quarter ear instead of a naturally long ear like a hound. And the deal was that you could give your speech about your dog, and then the auctioneer would, would auction them off. And I'll never forget, I was standing over there in the crowd just watching, and he brings these two dogs up there. And he begins his speech like this. He says, boys, these two dogs right here, and this was the words he used, are same alike. They got the same mommy. They got the same daddy. They got the same color. They both male dogs. They both hunt same alike. They both tree same alike. They both they got a voice that's same alike. He said, I'll take $200 for this one, and I'll take $400 <laughs> for that one. <laughs> and I, I don't know why that cracked me up. He just spent 15 minutes telling us how these two dogs were carbon copies exactly alike, but he wanted 200 for one of them and 400 for the other. I figured if I was in the market for a dog, I'd say I'll take the $200 one. <laughs> but that's just stuff you run into around these old coon hunts. I, I find things that strike me funny. Yeah. Just look at me and say, what? You know? <laughs> say, what? <laughs> that's my old friend, Monk Perry, in Raleigh, North Carolina. He he cracked me up when I, and I guess some of those guys down that part of the country talk like that. I'd, I'd say something and Monk say, do what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd say, Monk, I didn't say it was going to do anything. I'd just say, he'd say, do what? Yeah. Well, what's a good story? Anybody got one before we get off here? I told you, guy, I lied to you, but you know that that's probably not the first time I did that. But I told you it'd be about 30 minutes, and we already got an hour and eight minutes in. So uh, we're going to have, if I can round him up up there in western Pennsylvania, I'm going to bring uh, Fred Moran onto the, onto the 
this podcast guests or, or people have been asking me, where's Fred? Haven't heard from him. Is he doing all right? And as far as I know, he's fine. So I'm going to try to round him up in a little bit, but now, what words he, are, go ahead. Did Kat. he go to the grand American? He has many times. Now I don't know whether he'll go this year or not, but Fred's really traveled all over the United States and he's bought, we were talking about a fellow named How, uh, Harold Edwards down in, Alabama down around Tuscaloosa and um, Fred talking about having bought several dogs off of Harold and I think Harold's in his 90s now and still hunting and that and Fred's well into his 80s so uh, he's liable to show up anywhere at any time because he's uh, he's what we all want to be it's a guy that's in his yeah. 80s still <laughs> absolutely well, guys, we, uh, we've had a good time on here. I haven't heard any heckling of each other. I figured I was going to have to referee you guys uh, here and bring you both on the podcast at the same time. What I want to do uh, for listeners out here is uh, bring these guys on more often and we can get into just whatever. We might bring a guest on with them and we'll be, we'll, you know, be a free-for-all, three of them on. But uh, I'd like to have you boys back uh, any time that you're able and uh, willing and, and at least get you out of the woods while giving poor little animals a, uh, a break. Well, you got words of wisdom for our listeners before we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I thought. None of you got a wise thing to <laughs> If, if, if you're going to try to make a coon dog, you need to stay in the woods. That's about all I know to tell you. Well, that's good advice for sure. That's for sure. You got to hunt them, boys, if you want to have something you can be proud of. And I, I, I like to bring these guys home because they're success stories. You know, Keston doesn't have a lot of big night hunt titles to his credit, but, boy, he sure can make a coon dog out of a pup. And uh, and that's uh, that's a talent. That's not something that everybody can do. And Mark's the same way. And he's but he can also add those. He knows how to handle a dog in the hunt. He, know, he has a plan. The old saying is, you know, work plan your work and work your plan. Well, from day one on this plot pup, you know, there's been a plan for him, and it, it's pretty much going to. Going right along yeah, the mean, way we planned it, isn't it, Mark? The plan is going faster than I thought, but if anybody can go back and look at, you know, one of the posts you've put on here, just watch the swim race. The last one you posted of him, look at the how he performs in trying to – he's a competition hound. He, he's looking to do his best and, and give it his all. If some a dog's pushing – He's pushing harder to be in front. That's, uh, as you can see in that water race, he just, no dog's going to out-swim him. It's going to be hard because he, he's a, he can't stand to be outdone. He's going to run in the front. Uh, if somebody's faster, he's going to run. He's going to give it all he's got to run in front of him. He's just, uh, he puts it all out there. He is yeah. wired 440. And, uh, he is uh, very – he's quiet right now in the kennel, but most of the time about dark 30, dang, but one thing shut him up, and that's loading him up. 
because he's going to bark his head off until we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had a good bear hound one time, my dad and I did, named Julie, and she was that way when she smelled a bear. So that determination. You know, fellas out there, if you got a young dog, you know, that heart and drive will go a long way, you know, in in making a dog that you'll be proud of, whether it's in competition or or just buddy hunting, you know, coon hunting with your buddies, hunting in a place where coon might be scarce, uh, all that, that heart and that drive, that that determination, you know, to get out and get it done. Uh, and, you know, I'll say for both you guys, your dogs, these young dogs you're hunting, they're not trashy. I mean, yeah, they've bumped a little junk here and there, maybe treat a possum or something, but they haven't been. Clyde's not been, hasn't been trashy, has he, Kessler? No, he's uh, treated two possums his whole life. The first one, he was real young. I didn't do nothing, no correcting to him. The second one, he treated, and I, I sort of corrected him, and he's never, he ain't messed with one since. And as far as deer, if he's going through a field and he runs up on a deer, He'll run a deer off sight, but just as soon as it hits the woods and he can't see it no more, he's done with it. He'll run it as long as he can see it, but once he can't see it, he's done with it. And that's mm-hmm. about it. What's been Fever's uh, true possum. Mark? Uh, one night he was uh, darting around. We was walking out of the woods, and uh, I didn't have him on leash. He handles – I got him handling pretty good. He walked with me out of the woods. Uh, he started darting around, so and I had Crockett on the leash, and I was like, we're getting close to the truck, so I let him go. And we went on to the truck, and uh, it wasn't but a minute. Here he come back. He walked up to the truck, and he had a possum in his mouth. And uh, I told him to put her down, and it was still alive. I just picked it up and put it in a bucket and loaded him up and hauled him out of a non-hunting spot and just put him back out. But uh, one night on a night hunt, uh, I think we had a deer problem. He run a deer about the whole hunt. But since then, I haven't had him on one. Uh, we just had a, I don't know what it was, a rut, the smell of the deer that night or something. But we had a, we had a deer problem that night, but I ain't had one since. I don't know what happened. Well, if you follow hounds, you're going to have some off track somewhere. I mean, if the dog's got any ambition at all, you know, they love, that's what they're bred to do is to chase stuff and catch it, especially in a plot dog. But, um, and that's not taking any, I know the Walker breed has is, is really come a long way as far as being gamey. And I have seen some Walker dogs that were extremely gamey, especially on coon. What's say, bud? I forgot one more thing as far as the off game that Clyde's done. He did treat mm. a sow and three cubs one night. <laughs> there we go. Bear. You sell him? Bear oh. dog. There you go, Mark. <laughs> yeah, he, he, went, like, he was like nine months old when he done that. And uh, sure enough, he uh, did well, that. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah. ahead and say but, uh, I am definitely well, keeping yeah. fever ahead, out of bear country because I know what will happen. So. I'm trying to keep him out of them woods. (laughs) 
Well, you know, the guys up in Michigan, Wisconsin, upper tier of the United States up there, some of them have to break their dogs, bear hunters, have to break their dogs off coon, which sounds, seems like a real shame. But when you're bear hunting, you can't be having a dog running in there, jump, you know, running a track in tree and back in a swamp somewhere, and you have to go out there and wade water into them and find a coon when you're trying to get a bear treat. So, you know, they have to be, you know, twerked here and there, you know, and and uh, do a little training sometimes. But uh, I, I think the dogs that are being bred today are more easily trained on a given uh, species of game. Uh, you know, back in the old days, the walker dogs, a lot of them, the first ones that came into our country, you know, would run the heck out of a fox or deer. And occasionally you'd find one that would tree. That, of course, has changed drastically over the years. And uh, that just goes back to those old foxhound roots, I guess. But uh, but it's been exciting to watch the progress of these dogs. Uh, and uh, we haven't talked very much about Bonnie, <laughs> Keston. We've got, a, we've got another one here, a young dog that we're, I say we, somebody said, what, you got a mouse in your pocket? Well, you mean we, but I, I'm, I'm sitting back here watching you guys do all the work, but I will say that, you know, we're all part, we're partners, Keston and I are partners on the Bonnie female and Mark and I are partners on fever. So I just own half of each one of them, but it's, uh, my, and a frogger pup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a little lady, Keston and I are, are partnered up on a little uh, Rosedale frogger female puppy that we got high hopes for. She's showing, <laughs> she's plenty bold, isn't she, Keston? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she definitely is. Yeah. Smart, bold, pretty. <laughs> she yeah. probably won't be worth a dime. <laughs> <laughs> She's got everything she needs, so she probably won't make it. She's pretty. That's she's right. smart. She's That's loud. Right. Yeah. yeah. But as All far as Bonnie you. goes, yeah. uh, she, I don't know, some nights you take her out and you think she's just any second. And some nights you take her out and she just don't want to do nothing. She has treated coon on her own, and uh, it was a coon that crossed the gravel road, and I turned her loose on it, real hot track, and she treated it on her own. And uh, she will go hunting. She just won't stay gone. She she wants to come back. And as far as treeing, uh, she will back back Clyde sometimes. And then sometimes she's off doing her own thing. And uh, I believe it's just a matter of time, just a little more time. Well, she's awfully immature. And I know it. Wh what would you say about Fever? His uh, immaturity, Mark. I mean, how. Mature I think he's uh, Do you think he very is? mature for his age? As far as uh, he quit the, you know, he he don't squat no more. He quit that a long time ago. He was probably already marking, cocking his leg at six months old, and just and, and yeah. You see. The thing there that's interesting to me about that is those dogs are just a day apart in their birthday. 
you know, Fever was born on the 11th of October and, and Bonnie was born on the 12th, which happens to be my birthday. And it, and they're never, they're not the same and, and no two dogs are the same, you know? And uh, it's, and Bonnie shows a lot of immaturity still, doesn't she? Keston. Yeah, she does. She, she would rather play than hunt. And, uh, you know, she's just, you'd think as much as she's been out, they wouldn't be nothing new to her, but it's somehow she finds something new every night that fascinates her. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it, but, I but used, that's crazy. Yeah. You, you just talking about fever squatting or uh quit squatting at six months old. Clyde's getting ready to turn six months out or 16 months old. Wow. And I've only seen him hike <laughs> his leg one night. He's still squat. Yeah. And uh, he's still yeah. got a lot of puppy ways. Big too, you know? sissy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, he's still squatting to pee 16 months old. Yeah. Well, it's that the point being, they're all different. They're all individual, you know, they're. Well, also, uh, I have to get, you know, it all goes back to the trainers. Let me just go ahead and throw that stab in there. <laughs> <laughs> all right here it goes here it goes you both get in a corner here wait for the bell all yeah right. we're going we're going to find out one night you're going to have to make a trip down here oh yeah i'll bring the heat when i come up there <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll be waiting down here to cool it down okay yeah uh, well it'll be well mark's got a three-year-old three-year-old isn't he crockett He's just turned four. Four, okay. I'm looking forward to hunting with that boy. I've I've been with. Well, we did. We took we took Crockett. Yeah, that we took one Crockett night. That night. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, looking forward to a week of hunting with that dog as well. He's a uh, grand night, grand show two on both counts. In uh, nice dog. So we're looking forward to all that. Well, listen to all you listeners out there that are going to be hunting the rest of this season. I hope you have a great time. I hope the weather, you know, cooperates so you can get out there. If you got a kid that that wants to go, by all means, take them. Uh, you know, make it easy for them, make it fun. Always, always be safe with firearms out there. You know, uh, coon hunting can be a very dangerous situation especially if you're using automatic weapons. Be sure and check that chamber. Make sure that gun's unloaded. Uh, never point it anywhere that you don't intend to kill something in that direction. And just be safe and return home to your families. Be sure don't drive sleepy. I tell coon hunters this all the time. You know, it's not worth it. Pull over, take a nap. Uh, But anyway, I'll get off my stump. This is the old coon hunter, Steve Fielder, uh, coming at you one more time with this Gone to the Dogs podcast. And hopefully now uh, we'll be able to bring on uh, Fred Moran, the Redbone Man, to talk to us a little bit bit here in a minute. But if you don't see me, uh, just uh, wonder where I am besides taking a nap. (laughs) Absolutely. I've probably gone to the dogs. (laughs) Thank you.